Hey, everybody. Welcome to podcast number 75, brought to you by Five Pin Universe. I'm your host, Kerry Kreitz. Uh, first of all, we'd just like to thank our sponsors um, in the Patreon. And uh, thank you to All Star Bowling Sales for their continued sponsorship of every episode. All right. Before we get into and bring in our special guest, I'd just like to thank the Wiseman Twins and our new panelist, D- DB, Daryl Bradley, if people don't know him. He's wearing the appropriate shirt, the master himself. Yeah. Yeah. And he is a bowler. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am not, a bowler, everybody. I do not, bowl. not just an interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, if people don't know who our guest is, uh, he's been part of the Southern Alberta bowling community for a very long time. I know he hasn't been bowling lately, but he was a lane doctor. Uh, he fixed everybody's lanes, worked for Cubica, big part of the industry and we're going to bring them in here for you mr curtis steering good morning (laughs) (laughs) for a rancher it might be the morning but it's all the evening for the rest of us yeah thanks for joining us thanks for having me you're still on morning mode is that the way it works you're just a 14 hour 16 hour days these days there kurt or what yeah and then you have lunch yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of you know you haven't been bowling lately, but we see everybody else's bowling shirts, or I'm wearing the old Masters, or their old trophies in behind, and we can see what you're clearly doing these days by your photo in behind your head there. Yeah, yeah. Are those are those the prize possessions? You have a name for those two, or just the special painting? Oh, tell us a little story about the the, the cow picture in behind you. I don't know. My wife just showed up with it one day, and I'm not sure why, because I stare at the ass end of them every day, all day. I don't really need to see them in the house, but they're there. But that was, that was the photo that we, we landed on in the, in the living room, eh? Yep. Nice. Well, let's chat about that a little bit. Obviously, Curtis, you know, we're going to get into a whole bunch of bowling talk. Um, you know, great career you had, you know, as a, as a young child growing up, and then into the, the you challenge days. You know, you played the Open many years out of the South, the Masters in for a good time there, but um, you haven't bowled for about 10 years. So what is life like these days? What are you working on? Obviously, you've got a ranch, but tell us a little bit about the ranch, ranching life that you're doing. Well, we, we raise uh, about 50 registered cows and grow some of our own bulls and have around 425 commercial cows, a bunch of irrigation, and it keeps me going, that's for sure, just trying to be viable and feed the world, raise some kids. And what I think is the best environment on earth is on the farm. So yeah, I, uh, I gave up bowling when I, I I came home from building a bowling alley in the States and my son didn't recognize who I was and it really hit a pretty soft spot and I had to make a career change. And, you know, I took, went from just kind of being a hobby at, at the ranch to, investing all in and trying to make a go of it so yeah so bowling's been tough you know you yeah have the time to uh you know it's a 24 7 job but you don't get it's not monday to friday and weekends off sort of thing so yeah it's hard to balance being a dad and competing in bowling so well, the boys were just talking, and you're mentioning before is where you still got some of those lanes you were talking about from Lane Doctor, and you're going to set up a, a tournament down at the ranch, and we'll all come down there and for branding maybe, and uh, 
and, and do some shop bowling or some bowling. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Have a good time. Bring cash. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's <laughs> not so excited about the dessert that we're going to be eating the prairie oysters, but no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> they're already yeah. right looking your lips. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I tried them this year for sure. For Daryl's ball deep in that, I hear. So yeah. good, good and spicy. As long as somebody makes them, you know, nice and spicy. <laughs> um, hey, Kurt, let's talk a little bit. Get start from the the beginning and, and go back to YBC. Um, you did have a, a career in YBC. Tell us a little bit about where you started and and bowling and the days and uh, and how you how you grew a love for the game when you were young. Well, I started um, yeah. in Hot Lanes, and I bowled there my entire life. Um, I think at the age of three or something like that, and uh, I, I think I was fairly successful locally. Like I, there wasn't a, in in my age group, there wasn't really much for competition. There was nobody right. that was you know averaging over. 200 in juniors or over 250 in seniors or something like that. But um, it took, I guess, the introduction of uh, who became my best friend, but my bowling coach, Freddie, he showed up when I was about 13, just walked into the bowling lanes and he, uh, as you got older, um, like you said, 13 there, that's when you started playing the youth challenge. Um, and some of those successful days down there playing, you know, for the, the self zone and then moving on into some of the youth challenge, um, you know, rep team in those days. Look at this photo that we were able to oh. pull from the archives. How about that one? Nice. That's, uh, what that's year is that? I think that was the first year that they had the Canadians for the youth challenge. Yeah. I, I cannot get you know, over Derek Holmes hair. That, Derek Holmes. That's the second year. Yeah. Derek, well, that's 1997 photo up on the screen right now for those not watching. Uh, <laughs> you've got a 97 photo of a youth challenge team that would have gone on to nationals. So you've got Derek Holm, Curtis Deering, forgive me, David. Yeah, Little, I think his last name was. Yeah, Christine, um, Christine Lennon, right? Uh, Jennifer now Layden, what maiden name? Yeah, Burgess. Burgess, Burgess yeah. yeah, Jen, and then uh, Bonnie McDonald there. Well done. I'm sure they're all happy to know that they've got some old time. Photos yeah, but Bonnie yeah. Hasn't changed at all. Uh, yeah. Curtis, I mean, besides the beard, Curtis, you haven't changed at all. De Derek, Derek looks like he's straight out of the Gre out of Greece. Yeah, he looks like he's from the Outsiders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a beautiful little church girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. for sure, Christine. Yeah, what uh, what do you remember about that that year, Curtis? Where where did you play, or what was? Do you remember any um, bowling and even in the provincials and some of the scores there? How you did? Well, I know to qualify for that team, you you had to throw three hundred at provincials. You had to average three hundred as an individual. I think the first year I was maybe three oh seven or three oh nine or something, and. Uh, Victor, like there was a team prior to that one. Like I think that was the second year that they had that yeah. event. We might have a photo of this one coming here too. Uh, yeah, pull it up here for you. <laughs> right. So huge scores out of qualifying to make the provincial team. And yeah, then, as a youth, like there, there you go. There's a good one too. <laughs> there's Matt. Yeah, 
So yeah. now we've got a photo of, of Curtis, um, coaches Terry, uh, Matt Schultz. we got Bonnie back in there, Victor Fulbert, Jen Burgess again, and Col Colleen Floberg there playing too. Wow. Yeah. yeah, nice work. We were pretty young, and I, I, I don't know that the record for mixed team play has been beat since that team. We, we threw lights out at Nationals. I think we lost one or two individual matches only and averaged over 275 or something like that as a team. We were on fire, and we were pretty young. But the, it, you had to throw big numbers back then, and the houses were a lot tougher than they are now. You know, the pins didn't fall the same with the – with the bases and, but yeah, ooh, had some. There's your, there's another provincial team. There you go. Derek home looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. National team. Yeah. That was the national team. Good work. I don't think I would trust them with my wallet. Where, no. uh, where are your eyes, Curtis? I have no idea. You're looking at the little church girl. Yeah. <laughs> just care know about that. Yeah. Those yeah. were good memories. We went three. I think there was one more team after that, but 96, 97, 98. Were the youth challenge teams that moved on. So that was the first sort of years of the team where it would be the top qualifiers moving on to a nationals, right? Yeah, it started in 96, I think. Nice. Yeah. Now, wasn't there Go ahead. Wasn't there something about a, a TSNs as well, or was that the team that was on TSN? Or how does the yeah that, a, was, that was in YBC for singles? Uh, I made nationals a couple of years in a row there, and uh, the top, hmm, I think it must have been four men and women bowled uh, on TSN, and then you won a scholarship. So like uh, the YBC four steps type of thing. Yeah, the national singles, first, second, third, and fourth got to go and play separate filming type of thing. Do you remember how you did in those guys? I won one and came in second, I think, in the other one. Nice. That's think, cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Right. It's kind of it is super neat. I mean, you think yeah, that it stopped. I mean, you could do something through Five Pin Universe now if all these you know the kids if they're playing at a nationals, um, you know, bring them back in to play you know, a film segment or something, right? Again. Yeah. At any at any of these tournaments. That's what's the the filming is so exciting for everybody to play under the lights. Right. Well I know back then it was it was pretty intimidating. You'd never been yeah. opportunity to do it or even see it except on watching the pins game on TV. Yeah. But yeah, it was a good time. You know, under just a little bit of a segue there, you know, talking about under the lights, a little plug for the, uh, you know, the WCBT and the, the, the tour finals that we just did. Um, you know, guys who are a part of that, we're starting to show the episodes for those now. We just had the first episode come out uh, with the, you know, the pre-match interviews and the post-match interviews. So, um, you know, all this filming of stuff is, is pretty special uh, to be able to do that. So, you know, back in the day, you know, would have been great, but now is even even better kind of thing, right? It's, it's fun, fun that we're still doing it. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see it. Um, let's uh, so Curtis, tell a league. Do you remember bowling in league back then? Any of the any highlights bowling? You know, some high averages, or in, in the YBC days, or in the in the in the adult days when you started bowling in leagues? Did you, what was what was your league? Did you play in a match play or in a team event? How did things work down south? I was in a men's league, and uh, that's where you learned how to 
perform under the influence of copious amounts of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. Like we, I got to play with the same group of guys for quite a few years, and uh, we still laugh and joke about the memories we and the stupid things we did. Like one of one of the guys, he got. We used to play. We had a board with loonies on it, and every frame was worth a loonie. And if you were the only one who struck in it, you got the loonie or the carryover of them for a long time. And one of my buddies threw a bomb and got roasted on a corner and took his bowling shoe off and threw it and was hoping to, I don't know, make it part way down the lane. But he took out the mirror ball, fell down, smashed it all over the lane, and <laughs> all, all over five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> And we had a major league, and it was a three-player team with like a, a captain, an intermediate, and a lower average bowler. I averaged around between like two sixty-five and two eighty. The when I stopped bowling in league it was right around there. Nice. YBC was around. I don't know, maybe two fifty, two fifty-five, something like that. Sounds like your average on on Tuesday or Thursday nights, Tim, isn't it? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I went up five pins this year, this week. Yeah, two forty-five. Two forty-five, you're up to, hey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's a uh, little segue there to some league stuff. Uh, you know, Tim, want to want to chat? We last week when we were on this, we had mentioned to some people that are across the country. If you want to give a shout out to some of your league stats or some of your league scores, um, it's always good to involve some more people into into these live podcasts. Or if you're listening, it's kind of neat to be able to hear your name that you bold. Or so if you if you do across the country, have a good week at something. Um, you know, send Tim an email or send Carrie an email, and uh, we want to hear about it because we want to let people know that there's lots of good bowling going across the country. So, Tim, have at her. How are how are things yeah. going? Yeah, yeah, we, we're we're looking for personal best. It doesn't have to be like a four hundred or a thousand or anything like that. We're looking for personal bests or maybe some accolades you might not necessarily have. Um, so we did get some that came in. So from Cut Knife Saskatchewan, we had Akira Anseth, a 12-year-old, Len's daughter, and Tracy's. Uh, shot a 773 triple, a 281, 264, 228. Um, but uh, Lenny was more impressed that she was 31 for 34 on the middle. So that was a great job, Akira. So awesome job there. Great coaching, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not Lenny. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's lefty. He can't teach anything worth a shit. So, <laughs> um, uh, Chris Islip a few weeks ago shot twelve forty. He he obviously likes to inflate his own ego. So, uh, congratulations, that's gotta Chris. A, that's got to be a personal best, eh? Well, yeah. yeah, but you know what? He probably would have shot a buck fifty after if it was the TPC, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. get him to game seven and see what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so congratulations goes out to Chris on that. Uh, this past Sunday, uh, Deck shot 415 and a 733 double against Ryland. So can, he absolutely whooped Ryland after Ryland won on Tuesday. But yeah, Ryland that felt good. Ryland shot 1213 for the big pot, though, so he came back and beat Dex. Um, big news, though. Uh, I mean, I beat Daryl the first game in our match. So 318, <laughs> yeah. 253, but... Um, but the the, pro the problem is, I, I might have yelled you betcha after I smoked him the first game, and Daryl shot three twenty four against me, beat me by hundred. Smoke me. I smoked you. I, you know what? I, I let you I let you get close, and I and I put my foot down. So, 
But you knew as soon as you said the you betcha, you knew that you were in trouble. You're like, oh shit, I just yeah, yeah. Right. He, he went up four bagger, and I did fuck get all. Yeah. In the garbage can is what you knew. Was <laughs> yeah, um, but with our Sunday night league, I do want to point out that Evan Lacusse decided to play the beer frames with us, and he lost two in a row to Charles Hahn. So, Evan, you <laughs> that's absolutely pathetic. I want to point that out. Um, <laughs> a couple other things from down in Calgary: uh, Colin Christensen down in Toppler. Shot a thousand for triple. Uh, Michaela, uh, uh, Stacy's uh, daughter, shot a three sixty five and a eight sixty four triple. Um, her her brother Marcello, we just call her her brother, uh, shot shot a three forty nine. So Marcello, you still need to be better than your younger sister. So keep working at it. Uh, the better Weber. Rich. No, no one's gonna put anything in because they're gonna they're gonna get roasted for putting in scores. <laughs> the, 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 the better the better the better Weber Rich at four hundred five. Um, Kyle, the only Weber now actually the only the only Weber yeah. yeah. Uh, Kyle uh, Kyle Wolfson shot three twenty one. So congratulations to Kaya. Um, out in BC Masters, so they're still playing Masters on BC. So that's awesome to hear. Uh, Bailey Lawson shot a 420. Don Campbell shot 400. Um, Katie Wells got roasted on a corner on the 11th ball for 433 in Newfoundland. And uh, Danny Gombach wanted me to let everybody know he crushed Blair Pizzi many years ago uh, when he was relevant by 10 with a, with a 580 triple for three in Regina Classic. Yeah. So thank you, Danny, for posting that. Yeah. Uh, so out of all of that, all I hear is that Chris did choke. Yeah, Chris did yeah. choke. Yeah, yeah. He missed his. He missed oh. his all high by one. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you had a four fifteen, and then you followed up with what a three forty. Three eighteen. No, yeah, three eighteen or something. Yeah, so, yeah. So you had a, I, you had a seven twenty five. No, no. Before you tell, before you say, so you had what a seven fifty double. Uh, seven thirty three. So let's put it to the viewers now to see if they can guess what their <laughs> squad was. I don't know what the final number was. Yeah. But I, 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 have, I have a rough idea. I have a rough I, idea. I have it right here. Yeah. I can pull it up. Yeah. So we'll let them guess. But you had a 730 double, and what was yeah. your at the end of it? Uh, I think it was 1144. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. Now, yeah, you know, I was I was playing with my uh playing with my backswing and I have to really lock the elbow, bringing it back, and they it all of a sudden it works, but I got to get the timing right with the feet. And if the timing isn't right with the feet, I punch 10 times in two games and that's what happens. Wow. So Scott Rice would yeah. claim he was the cooler. That's all. So, right. <laughs> anyway, good, uh, yeah. good segment, Tim. So guys across the country, if you want to submit scores or some of your personal bests or, or you want to challenge somebody, maybe there's the guys at the Dakota, well, I know Winnipeg's not bowling right now. Uh, Manitoba, right? Uh, but anybody Regina, they want to challenge somebody. Let's let's have it. Let's uh, let's let's send some Tim some scores and let's play. So, um, Curtis, I want to switch back to you a little bit with you know the owning a bowling alley. You and uh, and Kara were involved with Panorama there, you know, a good solid fifteen years. That you know, big formation of of your life and obviously getting to know the lanes. You feel that like that helped you on, on the lanes bowling and understanding how it works? Or, or tell us a little bit about your time owning the bowling lane, working there lots. Well, it was a massive career change for me. I was a heavy-duty mechanic in the oil field, and uh, Kara's parents 
kind of wanted to expand. They had one bull in LA and wanted to acquire the other one in town and asked if we'd kind of join up and we figured we'd give it a try. You know, we both were pretty passionate about the sport and, uh, for me, owning the bowling alley and bowling in the bowling alley, I was I struggled to to do that. It was you're always pulled in a hundred directions. It was we had five pin, ten pin, and a like a soft play kids area and a banquet facility. So it didn't matter what you were doing; you couldn't focus on bowling if you were there. You almost had to go somewhere else to bowl where they wouldn't, where you know you could be left alone. Right. I, so I always bowled at Connaught. Um, it, it was just, you know, a 16-lane five-pin house, and you got to just drink beer and bowl. Like, it was pretty less stressful. So, but, yeah, I definitely, it it, it redefined my future when we went there. We, the bowling alley was pretty run down when we took over, and uh, we, we devoted a lot of time in our life to kind of make it something, what I felt was extraordinary by the time we were done, like, we closed it out and moved the lanes over and we built a nice spectator friendly facility and and um yeah that's what started the lane doctor so like you that yeah. you, you did a, wrong but yeah. you you did the the lane bed tables did you not in your air in your it was it was the the entire yeah. upper area the floor yeah the yeah. lounge floor was built out of the out of the lanes from Connaught, and so was the front <laughs> counter uh, yeah, that was amazing yeah. it was beautiful man you guys did an absolutely amazing job it was one of my most favorite things i've ever seen in a bowling alley it was amazing i yeah, love it it was hard to install it all cuz all bowling lanes that are wood they're sanded down and they're all different thicknesses and it, it took a little bit of doing but yeah it was Pretty happy with the finished product. It's yeah, amazing. Now, were you more the mechanic side of things there, and then and just fixing and ma maintaining all the all the lanes and, and five pin, ten pin? Is that different? Um, yeah. the different, obviously. Well, five pin, you know, there's a lot more electrical stuff to the technical side of things, or and then ten pin, our machines were eighty two seventy um amf machines and they like there's 2200 moving parts on every pin setter it would be like a black diamond free fall five pin machine on steroids sort of thing but yeah um i don't know you there wasn't many pin setters that i i couldn't fix or scoring systems i couldn't repair and yeah kind of so, made a made a living of it now you did the, the lane doctor um where where did that take you? What what other bowling centers? Or tell us a little bit about some of the places you went there to rebuild or to install some of the some of the more memorable moments there of the Lane Doctor. Well, we I built bowling alleys all over the world. Uh, I had a contract with the U.S. military in South Korea. I I spent almost two years over there. I built one in Puerto Rico. I took out one in China and moved it. To North America, it was a 600 lane bowling alley with a hundred on every floor, and wow. the top four floors never got used. Like the pin setters and the wood lanes were brand new, so we we took them apart and put them in climate controlled sea containers, and then moved them into the United States. And one was in um, Des Moines, Iowa, built a beautiful bowling center there, um, Utica, New York. Wow. Everett, Washington, Wind Gap, all over the place. Yeah, 
mostly the, 10 pin centers, obviously all those. Yeah, for the like NCP, which is like a new center from the yeah. ground up, you walk in a concrete floor and make it a family entertainment facility. Wow, that'd be some cool old photos if you had some of those days of, of rebuilding those from start to finish. Yeah, and then I partnered with Cubica. Um, we got the, I was like the Western Canadian distributor installation and technical support guy for, I still am on the technical support side. I, I did uh, like Heritage Lanes and Golden Mile and all of the places that I think are some of the nicest centers in the country. I, I had a pretty good influence on how that all came together and pretty proud of it. I, I was the first person to truly figure out how to interface um, to make pneumatic and Schmidt machines work with automatic scoring without a camera. So it's like hardwired into the pin setter and it, it's pretty much seamless. Now there used to be an uplifter of scoring errors all the time because just those machines are so old and flaky and things just never worked a hundred percent of the time. But yeah. So like Steltronics there, they worked with me, sent me their stuff and we Cubica and so yeah, that, that's kind of, a feather in a hat, I guess you'd say, but that was out of necessity. We owned a bowling alley and he just got sick of making scoring corrections and like, why doesn't this work? And finally through some letting the smoke out of the wires a few times, we figured it out, but yeah. Well, I mean, Dexter, you can speak to that. And Tim, obviously of, you know, running your own bowling center and having to just be, you know, Johnny handy and, and fix whatever is required. Right. Yeah, I mean, pretty well. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm kind of envious of Curtis having like heavy duty mechanic background because uh, <laughs> that that must have been beneficial, especially with like the ten pin side of stuff. But uh, you know, le learning the uh, the electronics and stuff like that, it, there's there's no manual anywhere for this stuff anymore, right? It's you just kind of figure it out and learn on your own and kind of go from there. And um, I don't, even for me, like I'm still trying to learn things on the CA ones and. And they're simple. Like, I mean, repair-wise, it's easy, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Curtis. Like, there's certain things that I want to make those machines do without having to go back there and manually do it. We've been kind of working on a project to uh, to uh, wire up uh, Raspberry Pis into into the low-voltage boxes so that we could do um, pin resets without having to go back there and pull the strings. Um, so, so still trying to, still trying to work on that kind of stuff too. But I, you know what, it's kind of fun. Cause like I said, I've, I've had no formal training in any of this stuff. And, um, even, even with the old owners before we took over, I didn't have any training with that either, but things break and you're like, well, we better friggin' fix it. So yeah. you try something and you try something else and then you learn something. And then the next time you know what it is right away. And so I've, I've kind of always enjoyed it cause it's, it's a challenge. But uh, I, I think it's I think it's kind of fun. That's for sure. Well, I think all good ideas or successes are manifested out of necessity. You know, it, you just have to make it work. It's Absolutely. Like, you know, I I still answer the phone at two o'clock in the morning if Shelby phones and they're hosting a tournament and something goes wrong and they need help or Kara or myself. Like, well, Rick retired now, so but yeah, it was often you know things happen, but. I'm still in touch with the game. I just don't get to participate in it. Uh, it's the way that it is, unfortunately. We'll, we'll get to that point, right? You're gonna you're coming back. Yeah. Yeah. We, we missed you, man. Yeah. 
So let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk some now of obviously the adult tournaments. Um, you know, yeah. the Open, uh, the Masters. Um, you know, for the, for a lot of people in the last ten years, they don't really remember how good Curtis Deering was. And in those late 1999 years, in those 2000 years, um, you know, I'll, I'll say it, that Curtis was easily one of the best bowlers in Alberta and then some in the country. Um, you know, some of these, the Masters teams that you would have made, it was it was a lock that Curtis was going to be on there. So, you know, it's um, some, some good quality back then. You know, like looking some of these Masters teams, there we go. Right, so we got a picture now. Of we got uh, what year would this have been, Curtis? Two thousand five, six? Well, we can ask him. Was six? I think it was oh four. But oh four, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lynn Howell, Danny Gombach, Kevin Holdsworth, Bruce Mortar, uh, Casey Campbell, and Curtis Deering. Right, pretty pretty solid team there in 06. Um And then there's uh, another team. I believe would have been one of the youngest Masters teams to play coming out of Alberta. Um, where you've got some pretty solid stories we're going to get to here is you got Curtis Deering, Mark Johnstone, Ian Doby, another wonderful bowler from the 2000s there, Brad Wilton, uh, Coach Lynn Howell, and, uh, and Matt Schultz. So um, let's chat about that team there uh, a little bit, Curtis. I know that you've got some good memories of that team. You want to tell us a bit to, about playing with those guys? Well, I don't know if I would consider – the memory that has stuck with me good, but it's a memory. Uh, we bowled in, I think that was in Winnipeg. Uh, and uh, we went down to the finals and I was bowling anchor and I had to, I had a string of strikes going into the 10th frame and I threw the first two and got aces on the last ball. And we lost nationals by one pin. And that Eight one is on your last ball. Pardon me. I got aces on the last ball and I buried it. Like I had to have had a bad pin set or something, but not too often when you feel it come off your hand and you slide across the lane with your fist pumped and there's two corner pins standing there laughing at you. Oh, that one stung. But yeah, I went outside and kind of lost my shit for a few minutes and beat the hell out of my cowboy hat and came into about a $1,500 bar tab. My wife bought the whole bowling alley shot. So. <laughs> 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 we got place that year, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I I remember I heard a story about this is when I heard about Curtis and his uh, banquet story. I remember. Was that, that uh, year? the the table scrap story? I heard. I think that was the story I heard about Curtis. Yeah, yeah. I well, I we started drinking out of like <laughs> coffee mugs and coffee pots and. I think the girls and I, like the girls and the guys switched shirts for the banquet and we were all having a, a pretty good time, but uh, I missed supper because <laughs> I was drinking bar mats and having a good time and came back to the table a little late and I don't know if it was, nobody ever fessed up, but I would bet money that Lynn ate my plate. <laughs> that, so that's, was, a, that's a good guess. There was nothing left but scraps. Uh, from yeah. the people cleaning up the dishes and that's what I had for supper and <laughs> I wow. bellied up on Greg Doby's bottle of wine and he's never forgiven me. Sorry, Greg. Yeah. There you go. Now you finally find just wanted yeah. you to say sorry, man. That's all you wanted. Three I times. Was, I was yeah. pretty disappointed. That those particular pair of lanes at St. Vital 
stole three gold medals on me on the last ball. So that's a pretty interesting stat. Wow. Well, why, yeah. Why need the Open and Masters. We learned there, Mark had mentioned it, Johnny, but your nickname then became Cletus. Yeah. Uh, at that at that Masters, obviously, at the at the banquet and playing. And anybody else know some pretty good nicknames out there from the bowling world? Who can we think of that's had some uh, good nick? I know I got nicknamed Popeye at one point, and I think it was KG back in the day. It would be just have a few too many pops. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you do that Russian dance. Yeah. Any other nickname here? The Russian, the Shumka. I would do the Shumka every year for a few years until I blew a hammy, and that's not happening. Right. <laughs> oh, it'd, be, uh, it'd be nice for people to send in some nicknames that they might know out there of, of, of their friends yeah. that might have gotten from a bowling alley. Yeah. Dester's puddles for a long time. I mean, you can't forget oh, yeah. about puddles. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you can't forget about puddles, right? So, uh, yeah, there was that. What yeah. year was that? Was two thousand seven? No, that was oh yeah, that was two thousand seven. Seven, yeah. No, we, no, because we were still in, we oh six of our our last year of YBC. Yeah. So it was it was oh seven, and uh, this is not a proud story. So uh, <laughs> I I made uh, the Edmonton men's team my first year at YBC. Uh, it was in it was in Lethbridge. Yeah, it was in Lethbridge. And we go down there, and we went down on the uh, the Tuesday, and it's my first experience. It's, it's kind of a long story. We we uh, we sort of we all convoyed down, and uh, and Brett Wren was the one in in uh, who was leading the convoy, and I was driving down with uh, Melissa Worrell, and I was driving this little Grand Am, and the only reason why we stopped at going at 170 was because that's what my car governed out at. Everybody else is doing 180. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, so I got to keep up. Anyways, this is a Tuesday. We get down there, and uh, Brett, I'm staying with Brett Wren, and Christine is learning with us. And uh, Brett brought down a 60 of rye, and we decided that we were going to split that between us, the two of us for the weekend. And, uh, well, I I finished my half on the Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then proceeded to drink beer and uh, got uh, some uh, – uh, Jagger bombs and jumped into the hot tub at two in the morning with Chance Anderson, another name from the past, and almost got kicked out of the hotel on the first night and then somehow put myself to bed. But at some point throughout the night, I don't know when, uh, something happened. I, I remember waking up at seven o'clock in the morning and uh, Brett just looks at me and goes, Well, you had a pretty good night, eh? He's like, Yeah. It's like, You pissed in the corner. I was like, what? It's like, no, you, you pissed in your clothes bag. I was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. So he picks up a shirt and throws it at me, and it it's soaked. And I'm like, you're you're fucking full of shit, Brad. <laughs> no, no, here's so it turns out Michelle Gardner was staying in the room with us too. She she roomed with uh, in my bed, and apparently. In the middle of the night, I got up and I thought I went to the washroom, but I actually walked to the end of the bed and I peed into my clothes bag and then I zipped my put my shorts back on and I walked around the side and then I crawled over Michelle and <laughs> went, went back to sleep. And I was known as Puddles for a long time after that. <laughs> luckily, luckily for me, Marty was living down in Lethbridge, so uh, 
I got to go do laundry on Tuesday. And you know what? What a great friend. I was like, text Marty. I was like, hey, Martin, what you doing? Can I come over and do some laundry? Sure, buddy. Not a problem. Not even asking questions why I have to go do laundry after the first <laughs> night of being there. That's awesome. Wow. So, yes, now the entire world knows why I'm called Puddles. <laughs> I'm glad you took a moment to explain the whole story to us. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, we took a short version for you, but that's good that everybody now knows exactly why you need Puddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. No, no shame here. Yeah. Um, Curtis, so some of those, you know, we talked about the Masters, great experiences, you know, playing with bowlers from across the province, um, you know, the, the Calgary's and the Edmonton's, but then the open out of the South, you also made some Southern teams there. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the, the provincials and some of those guys that you were playing there and experiences playing in that open tournament. I mean, that's how you form some good friendships with everybody else across the, the the province as well and the country for that matter. So talk about the open a bit. Well, I think I was the first YBC to come out of medicine hat and make a men's team and go to nationals. It, it was about 25 years. It was a long time. And we had a fantastic group of guys. They were a lot of fun. Um, and I don't know. I think it was my influence and I, I took the game pretty seriously. Uh, Daryl and Matt and the boys, they used to indulge in nighttime activities and I barely had the energy to get undressed and go to bed, but uh, <laughs> just, that's just the way it was. Freddie and I always marveled at how they could go out and have that much fun and still bowl at the level that they competed at every single day. But yeah, Danny and Derwin and Jim Smead and we we worked awful hard because it just it wasn't the same environment in in the South as it is in you know Central or Edmonton or Calgary where you've got and a plethora of people to, to pick from, we had to make the best out of just a handful of guys. And, you know, it, it was it was an uphill battle, but once we figured out how to win, we, I think we were a pretty competitive group. I would and, say so for that, you know, big stretch into there. Look, yeah. same guys. I mean, just absolute beauties from the South, you know, with uh, with Derwin, right? Uh, Darren Bridge, you know, Danny Radide, you know, Derek Lewicki, Dwayne Plato, Right, these like you said, they were 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 competitors, right? Well, they went to the open for year after year after year and just couldn't compete. And we worked like exponentially hard to to figure out how to win and and to like to get them everybody to believe in themselves that you know anybody can accomplish anything. The power of the mind is infinite. And once we figured out how to win, it was pretty pretty satisfying i guess you know we never got it done at nationals we got i think three silver medals but yeah and that was i think an 09 right uh would have would have gone there again that was calling yeah. you won provincials out of 09 right and then yeah nine and eleven or something was that's the last i bowled i think was oh i can't remember anymore but yeah. And I only I only had the opportunity to play in the Masters I think three times. It was awful hard to to balance life and and bowling. I never got to compete as much as I'd like to, but I made the best of it when I was there. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scotty Barber mentioned early on up in the comments about uh, bowling with your with his eyes closed, and he's he's right. You know, there was one guy that 
you, you look over on the lane and there's Curtis standing on the lane with his eyes closed. And uh, it's kind of like Sergio Garcia just recently golfing with, you know, eyes closed. You know, you'd look over like, wow, this guy is, is dialed in and I'm scared shitless if I'm playing, you know, Deering with his eyes closed and then he opens them and you go for a rip. So where did you learn that? Where was the eyes closed come from? Well, when I when Freddie passed away a couple of years ago, we were he was in like a, a hospice, I guess you'd say, and he had and we were losing him. And we I went to visit him every day and we talked and talked and talked about who learned more from who. You know, if it was him from me or me from him, because we learned about dissociation and, and how to trust your muscle memory and then how to be able to put the pressures of any situation, whether it be throwing the ball for the gold medal to win Canadians or, you know, just life in general. And that's where that started. We would practice at Connaught when nobody was there and I'd turn the lights off. And that's, you kind of would trust the fact that you're going to throw the ball. But the first few times I fell over the foul line and into the gutter and onto the other lane and you know because you'd panic and you were you were scared and you didn't trust yourself but through repetition and and getting going like when I was truly dialed in I didn't see anything I didn't feel anything it was just like you were I was thinking about anything but bowling when I was in in the moment and it was just an incredible feeling where you know, every, you could sense other people's pressure. You could sense other people's fear when they, the way they'd slap your hand or the way they would walk or move, and just their body language told you everything. And it would just feed that fire inside of you to throw another strike. You know, <laughs> Freddie's coaching philosophy was: you can only do anything one step at a time, one ball at a time, one breath at a time. And you just broke it down to you know the the simplest elements, but they were, they would yield some pretty spectacular results because you just were focused on a level that it's, it's hard to explain. Uh, Kurt, Curtis, I, I know um, we, we didn't have a chance to compete much against each other, but I know I remember um, one of my earlier years competing in Regina, you had, you had the opportunity to go out there a few times. And I remember uh, you were one, always one of the few players that played with uh, headphones in, right? And uh, uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. It was never music. It were, was there any music? It was. It was. Was it self? It was positive thinking. Was it, it on there, or, or was there anything on there at all? It was, from my understanding. What? What, what exactly? What it was? It was never music in there, was it? Not. Well, it depends. When I, when I was competing, it was just instrumental. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It, um, and I learned to program, like, because bowling was such a marathon. Like, it wasn't like it was a half an hour. You're going to the gym and you're working out. Sometimes it's, like, 12 hours. I remember Saskatoon. <laughs> I can't remember how many, like, you'd start at 8 in the morning and go for forever. But, yeah, you ask Holdsworth. He pulled it off. We were on the bus at Nationals. And he's like, what's he listening to? And he pulled my earbud out, and it was Rocket Man. We need the sound We need the sound bite here now, too, Kerry. The Rocket Man! <laughs> uh, yeah. Missed opportunities. Yeah. 
I never had to pump myself up. I was so internally motivated that I could right. barely stand still. I always had to bring myself to a calming sense where I could feel my muscles relax through a deep breath. And like you just get everybody knows when they're competing at the highest level, it's all about how you feel because the rest of it will be executed when you let the ball go. And it was just how to do that on a on a continuous level. And it's 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 crazy because. Uh, Dex and I talk about a little bit. Dexter is always like high, high adrenaline or uh, high beats. He likes more beats to music, and I'm like the slow, like drawl music. Because oh, he does but, his pump up song for the for the Invitational, and it's like thirty beats per minute. I'm like, how does this get you amped up? But but it's it's totally different, right? Because I had to have myself calmer, and then somebody else needs their stuff to be jacked up, right? So I I can see where you're sort of coming out with that, Curtis, right? So well, mine yeah, was instrumental from my heart will go on from the Titanic. Oh my! <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> on the end of the end of the balcony or what like, no i i don't know it just it just when you uh, i don't know how to explain it but it just got if i yeah it's the same as the sound when you're getting hypnotized i've done that very successfully too like the 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 ocean and the wind and i don't know it just really yeah sent me and people always made fun of me but it just fueled the fire even more like bring it on <laughs> I, I've had the journey, of course, to keep on believing, right? Many a time. Yeah. 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 For, for all those audience listeners that uh, don't know Curtis too well, um, thinking Curtis was always uh, intense and very straightforward. It, he was always at the after parties. Like, don't don't kid yourself. Yeah. Curtis was out there for a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my rookie rookie year for the um, Masters in Newfoundland. You got the you got the lay, you got the the Hawaiian outfit on. Casey Campbell's out there with you. Yeah, Is we had coconut, we had coconut bra. Well, I did anyway. The grass skirt, coconut bra, and that was it. When we had to go on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we won the gold that year. Nice. Those were broke two fingers or his knuckles, and not in anger. It was in celebration. Like he, I Bruce, I think was lead off, and Kevin was fourth, and I was fifth, and and Danny and Casey were in the middle, and we just we had a blast. Like we bowled really well. I think I averaged like three hundred or something. So did Kevin. I think we got a Lonnie Acres and a Casey Fowler sighting here. Ooh, isn't that Crystal Orange too? Crystal Hipner. <laughs> There's yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lonnie with Lonnie with hair, yeah. What am I, what's in my feet? I don't own sandals. Oh, there you go. I'd like to hear some of the other people too for the the people listening and watching. What songs or what sort of strange music have you gotten in your head while you're playing and help you succeed? I mean, I'm sure at any given moment, any given time, what what's one of the weirder ones that come to your mind that that you've played with? Right, It'd be cool to see some of these stories. Um, Curtis, I want to go back a little bit of chat. You know, we, we you talked about Freddie a little bit and some of the coaches and some of the, um, you know, the mentors you've had in the game. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, when did Freddie start coaching you? And, you know, he was such a, a wonderful guy for all of us playing back in the day that, um, you know, can't say enough good things about him. But I know that he's not the only one that's had, a, had an effect on you. So chat a little bit about your mentors there for us. 
Well, Freddie would definitely be at the top of the heap. Um, we became the best friends. Like I met him when I was 13, and he he drove an hour and 15 minutes every single day to come to Medicine Hat. Like he lives in Saskatchewan on a farm, and um, he kind of he had a perfect game, and he he competed, you know, in his own way. Um, but he had a love for sport. It wasn't just bowling. It was football, baseball, NASCAR. And, and he studied how to teach and how to make, for back, lack of better terms, like chicken soup out of chicken shit. Like he, in, in YBC, I think when we won the youth, when the first year that they had the, to go to nationals for the youth challenge, there was one other bowler on our team that before they qualify for the youth average over 200 and, and he, he made them, you know, he, he just taught people how to believe in themselves and it wasn't to be successful in sport. It was to be successful in life. And that's why he was such an extraordinary human being because after losing him, you know, I've learned more about life from bowling than I did learn about bowling from bowling just you, you learn so many valuable life lessons and, and, and how to carry yourself and, and how to win when you aren't successful, like how to gain from your losses and how to grow. And he was just special beyond words. Like he, he didn't pick favorites. He didn't take the cream of the crop. He, he would work with anybody and he would drive from Maple Creek to Lethbridge when he coached the men's team to work with Darren Bridge and, Whoever was willing to put the effort in to become a better person, he was all in for anybody. And I was kind of like his guinea pig because I was pretty transparent and willing to, you know, try anything to get the mental part of the game to a level that I don't know that it had been delved in before, you know, like dissociation and focus and listening to music and and the power of positive thinking and all those little buzzwords, but we we worked awful hard at it, and we had a lot of success. And not just on the bowling lanes; it was in the crowd with the cows, or out on the combine, or like he was just an awesome friend and an awesome person, like a life coach, not just a bowling coach. That's what how you would define Freddie. Yeah, and Did he come to the ranch with you lots too. Part of me. Did he come out to the ranch with you? Oh yeah, like I worked. My first, well, my second job was at Freddie's place in Saskatchewan, and when he got diagnosed with cancer, I uh, I brought all of his cows to my place and calved them out for him, and then kept them for him. And since that point, I've rented all of Freddie's grass, and I still run my cows down there with his oh. son. Uh-huh. Yeah, you you name it, we did it together. He he was he was a pretty pretty special person. He was, yeah. And then there was uh, Mr. Lynn Howell, which was like going from, you know, Freddie would be like Mother Teresa and and Lynn is like a NASCAR driver. Like they just were polar opposite coaches, but yet equally as effective, you know. And uh, you learn to love each of them for their, you know, their desire to, to win and, and be successful. It just was 100% opposite techniques or coaching parameters or whatever you want to call it. But those would be the two big ones, you know, on a, on a coaching level. And I had awesome parents growing up. I, I was adopted and uh, 
my mom and dad just sat in silence and they never pushed me to do anything. I played competitive baseball and, you know, made the Alberta all-star team and I curled and you had to choose and, and bowling just felt right. It always did. Like I rode bulls. I, I did all kinds of stuff competitively, but bowling just was who I am, which was a rarity because not many people, you know, make their living in a, on the back of a horse and, live to throw a bowling ball like i i get fun of by my peers it's but it's a feeling that can't be taught in a space that can't be bought that's what bowling was to me it just it, it makes you feel so so good to be in total control of all the problems in life or the good things in life and step out on the lane and throw strikes yeah it's awesome or, or or making those you know cool spares i was saying to somebody it might have been even Chris Hislop this year when I make a corner pin spare. I'm like, there's not a lot of people aside from us bowlers that can stand 60 feet away and rip a ball down and pick one pin. You know, yeah. it's such a satisfying feeling. So like you say, you're in your own world, you're in your own space. And when you can start throwing those strikes, I mean, we have all been there before when you just know you're in a zone that it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're throwing balls, right? And well, bowl bowling is you against you. Like the only person that can beat you is you. And, and and that's when that truly is what you believe and what you feel, it just opens up a whole different avenue for success. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't hurt when you get beat on the lane, like when somebody outplays you and you, you getting beat is getting beat, but it really hurts to lose. You know, when you beat yourself, when you're, when you're being, outcome orientated and thinking about winning or thinking about losing or thinking I need a strike and you don't get one. But when you're just up there throwing one good ball at a time, blowing the pins off the lane, like it's just, it's the best feeling in the world. I think. Right. Um, so nice that, you know, a little shout out for Lynn there. I think there's so many of us throughout the bowling community in the world that have had an influence or that has gained influence from Lynn. Um, you know, in, in one time or another as a coach or as a mentor, as a player and watching him play and just this whole attitude towards the game. So we're certainly blessed to have him around the game and about to play. And there's a picture of Lynn must have been, uh, you know, is this, is this a scraps night or is this a, an eating challenge here where? That was just me and him head to head who could get more meatballs in your mouth. But, you know, how do you fit? He's a seal. Like they can eat four thousand fish in five seconds. For I don't <laughs> more meatballs than Lynn. Yeah. I don't know how many got in there. Like thirteen, they didn't even chew. Yeah, and that was the rule. You couldn't chew it, right? You, had you know, to. you just had to stuff them in there. Like he uh -oh. had five more. We do the gumball challenge in KG too, right? Yeah. You, you know, how many gumballs can you get in your mouth without chewing? And you just so much sugar would get in there and just ah. Lynn, Lynn is such an intimate human being, though. Like he's a good friend, and and he he he's just, he has a heart the size of Hong Kong, and and I, you know, we love him to death. All of Auntie Sue and Uncle Lynn—that's what the kids call him. And yeah. the unfortunate part of my life is my kids have never even seen me throw a bowling ball. Like that's a true story. Yeah, you know? and. Hopefully well, one day. I think we have a photo of 09 when you won there when you're holding Easton in the in your hand. So he was yeah. there with you. I don't think he, he could he know. He know. Yeah. Well, that was the last year I bowled. Yeah, there you go. Right. 
Well, we'll get you back now. I want to chat a little bit about 05. Um, you won the KG Invitational. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a full stat sheet here in front of me, but do you remember some of the qualifying and some of the scores there and some of the players you would have played on your route to, to the winning there? Well, I know I went deep on both sides. I lost in the B final to, I bowled him again. I, I think it was Mark Swatsky. Okay. Um, I could have won first and second, but uh, I had the flu. I woke up in the middle of the night, like before Sunday, and started throwing up extensively. I never went to bed, and it was just a true testimony of mind over matter. I just drank water, never ate nothing, and uh, and had to manage my energy, so throw as many strikes as possible, and it was... I it was the best I ever bowled in my life. I think I there was several matches that were only a game and a half. It was it was a good run. It was a lot that, of fun. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis, but was that the last year it was held at KG? Yep. Yeah. That was the last the last time it was there. Yeah, because the next year Gino won, but it was held at Eastview. Yep. Yeah, I never I never went there. Um I know when my wife made me, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but we hit ice fog all the way home and I had to go back to work the next morning. And it, I don't remember when we got home, but it was like four o'clock in the morning or something and ice fog all the way. And I took the money and bought an engagement ring. There you go. Yeah. So haven't you guys been together for like 35 years or something? How long have I been together? Uh, you've been together since you was, you know, really close to 25, yeah, 96 or something like that. How did you guys meet? Some Wasn't it bowling related? Yeah, well, her parents owned the bowling alley in Tabor, and some people started it on fire, and they lost all their belongings and stuff, and it was just a pretty sour feeling. So they bought the bowling alley in Kamat and moved to medicine hat so this girl walks in there with blonde hair and skinny and frilly dilly and i never had nothing i couldn't stand her she drove me nuts <laughs> my dad went to the bowling alley look at me kind of thing and yeah she chased me or hunted me for two years stalked me and finally caught me yeah so, yeah that's where we met at cannot knew that you were the best bowler and she had to have the best bowler so that's that's great yeah. i don't know if that was the I think I had other attributes that drew her to me. Not <laughs> <laughs> Kara will let us know in the comments. Yeah. yeah. She's already said that she's only 29, so the comment about the 35 but didn't go very well. So uh, That's not quite the truth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So then anyways, KG, you kept playing, uh, qualified. Who did you play in the final? And Mark Watson. Yeah, okay. we played uh, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. And it was Kevin Kevin Clark, I think, in the B, who I beat. And I, I lost and then had to play Mark again. Now, there was a, a story you shared with me about Kevin and, the, and the, the cigarette smoking. Wasn't that something back in the day? Yeah, like you could – you would smoke everywhere then and he there was an ashtray right on the ball return at kg and he'd take a puff throw a strike and take a puff and go on the other lane and throw another strike it's just the way it was 
Yeah. And I remember I had, well, KG introduced the clock, like the time clock. People were taking forever to bowl their matches. And yeah. I was bowling against Mark Jackson, same weekend. And uh, we were both playing really well. And Mark would continually forget to switch the time back and forth. And somebody would always be reminding him. And we both started with six in a row from the gate. And I got the seven and a spare and eight. Mark got aces and picked his corner pins and came off. And somebody from the crowd said, Mark, you didn't switch the time. And he made a fist and just completely obliterated the clock. He smashed it like 10,000 pieces. Yeah. Fuck the clock. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember watching that. And I was like, well, I guess we're not having a clock anymore. It was not even an issue. We could have both bowled on one person's time and still had enough time. Yeah. But yeah, that was a pretty memorable from from that and <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty substantial back in those days too like they had people that weren't even bowlers coming in to you made more money on the calcutta than you did on the win that's right exactly. we're huge it'd be yeah. interesting to see you know i know there's there's probably lots of tour stats or bowling tournament stats out there carrie you know i'm sure you've thought about that is how do you collect the tournament stats from the Rose Bowl in 1978 with Frank Levine winning. Like, any, any you know, progress yeah. out there? How, what do you do? Like, what's the like, what would you do? Um, so, like, it, it's pretty hard to come by, especially, like, the scoring stats and stuff like that. But we, we actually have um, pursued getting all the winners all the way from 1970 to present in most of the major West tournaments. And we've collected most of them. We're actually only missing one. Um, from the Rose Bowl in 98. Um, unfortunately, Martin hasn't been able to track that down yet. Uh, we do believe it's Dave Gorley, but if anybody knows the 98 Rose Bowl winner, that's the only one we're missing. And uh, there's been some serious thoughts thinking about doing um, WCBT Hall of Fame, going all the way back to 1970 and looking at some of those stats. It's, it's pretty crazy to think... Um, Obviously, everybody knows Bruce Mortar and Gino and Mark Jackson and all those guys were, were unbelievable. But the amount of tournaments or cash tournaments that Bruce and Gino won is insane compared to Frank what's going on now. Yeah, unfortunately, Frank, um, he kind of came out to the Autumn Open when it first started and he was at the Rose Bowl at the beginning but other than that, Frank didn't really play any of the other tournaments. So he won a bunch in a short span. And then I'm not yeah. too sure if he didn't play after that or what happened. But he won five in three years. Uh, mm -hmm. I, th I think he started off at the beginning and it was almost the end of his career when everything started picking up, right? Yeah. But the yeah. one the, the one stat that I thought was cool is everybody forgets about uh, Brian Goodhope because he, he got overshadowed by Lynn and Bruce, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah would, Brian Brian has five major cash tournament wins. And and nobody knows who Brian is really out here because everybody gets overshadowed, right? But yep. Pretty cool. Yeah. Because between not, Bruce and Gino, they have twenty five. <laughs> yeah. No, thirteen. Bruce Gino has twelve. Wow. Um, is that stat on Five Pin Universe somewhere, or where do you? No, that is a a project of the WCBT, but nice. we will definitely be posting it once we have a completed list. 
you know, that's cool. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's other guys too across the country um, that listen, that have the club tour, right? Jim Head, I know you're out there. Um, you know, some of these old time tournaments down east, um, it'd be great to be able to compile lists of, of tournaments and tournament victories. You know, cool things too that I think we always talk about is what was the cut, you know, or the number of qualifiers that played. You know, whether you're, uh, you know, back in the day it would have been a 2000s, you're shooting a 250. Well, now nowadays the WCBT events, you're 275 to make cuts. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, and that's the great thing about the WCBT now is we do have all those stats. We have it's all compiled. We know from 2015 to now what the cut was at each tournament, each of the major tournaments that are part of the tour and stuff like that. So at least that's something we can look back on. But yeah, to gather all the stats on all these older tournaments, that would be amazing. If I know uh, Don Sim and those guys have a lot of collection of old yeah. newspaper articles and stuff like that. But I don't even know if Don Sim would have every single entry listing. I have no idea. Right. We may have some of the TPC old stuff. I think yeah. we got a box of it somewhere, actually. I have never tossed it. I haven't. Yeah, there's a box somewhere. You know, obviously, it's to the time and effort for somebody to put it all together. But you know, there's some people out there who really dive into some stats to be able to see some some interesting things and you mm -hmm. know, parallels. You guys could reach out to Jack Smead. He has a lot of stuff. Yeah, okay. if you know him or not, but he he kept yeah. all kinds of stuff. I know he talked about when they used to hop on the train and drive across the country and. That's how they would, you know, they pick everybody up along the way. And yeah, he's got an uplifter of pretty cool stories. That'd be great to be able to chat with him. Yeah. Hook him up on here and have a chat with him. Find a way yeah. to connect us. That'd be great. Uh, obviously, Don Sims, another one too, right? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, Don and Jack are probably a similar age, I would think. Yeah. Curtis, you had shared an interesting stat with me there the other day um, about the number of times that you've had the opportunity to throw the 12th ball in a perfect game. Can you expand on that for us? I think I've had 12 chances and I've had uh, eight, four two head pins of chop off and a set of aces. Somebody else does have a four forty six. We thought that was almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. So you've had the, an opportunity to throw the 12th ball 12 times. Crazy, and you've never missed the middle. So you've thrown the shot every time. Yeah, and two times that cannot, I knocked over pins on the other lane. Like they went over the kickback, and I knocked over three pins on the other lane. Like it just got roasted. Wow. But it wasn't meant to be. You know, I know in uh, practice, I threw three perfect games in a row. Like just me and Freddie bowling at the bowling alley. I. I threw, I think, 30, 39 strikes or something in a row. Holy. Wow. Because yeah. uh, I do believe the record in competition is 26. That's, That's uh, 39 is crazy. Yeah, it's Gino. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you. Uh, anybody uh, want to go through some of Curtis's old scores? Hey, oh, we should <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. You're older. We're going to play another game here, Curtis. I hope you got your score sheet and you can start counting again. So I know everybody's super excited to play What's My Score, right? So uh, you can get your score sheets and your notebooks ready. And we're going to see if we can uh, count some scores here. So first one, rules are first one to three. Okay, you got to calculate. You got to put your hand up on the screen so I can see you and I'll call you. 
and we'll um, we'll 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 see if we can get to three here. Ready? Ready for this? Just a second here. Gary <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> throws everybody else. Okay, let's start with a, a weaker moment here, Curtis. This looks like it was game 16, lane 15, 16, Plaza Bowl versus Northern Ontario. And uh, Curtis playing anchor. All score sheets that I got were Curtis was always playing anchor. So four frames from the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, four frames. Here we're going to go. Chop off. <laughs> yeah, chop off for a 13 count. Strike. Three pin, Curtis. Oh, shit. Five, nothing. So you counted eight in that frame. Left corner, missed, and you picked the two. 58. 61. You didn't oh. put your hand up. Damn yeah. it. 58. No, incorrect. Curtis just said. 61. Curtis, no, you're wrong. Uh, anybody in the crowd now? Yeah. 51? No. Chop off for a 13 count. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 50, oh. yeah. yeah. 59. Sure, hands up, hands up. Yeah. Who said the 59? Curtis. I did. All right. Curtis gets the 59. You're one on the board, Curtis. He has a score sheet in front of him still, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he got wrong in the first place. Okay. Kara, Kara, did you Kara send these to you? <laughs> of course she has. She's telling him in the background. Kara's got one. even there. <laughs> yeah, she is. For sure she is. I can hear her. She's at the piano. Where are you? Why can we can't see you? Are you... Come say hi, Kara. Yeah. Come say hi, Kara. Yeah. I'm out in the game to see Kara. They're in the shop. They're not even in the house. Where the hell did you see? Yeah. They're in the shop. I don't have them. The there's, there's the better half. Kara Deering, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Do I get to play this game too now? Sure. Okay, so in the fourth frame, what is your score? You started spare by five, five for the 15 count. Five, cherry three pin, five for a 13 count. Then you run a triple. What's your score? 93. <laughs> Nine. Wow. Curtis has a. You have a score sheet next to you, don't you? You're. Well, no, I. <laughs> Curtis is up two nothing. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Tim. Pick up a bat and get in the game. <laughs> okay. Your last three frames. What was that? You broke up. Your last three frames. <laughs> eight, nine, ten. What is your score? Corner, spare, corner, spare, triple. Tim. 103. Yeah, Tim got on the board. Way to, way to get a bat, bud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tim is in. What's going on, Dexter? Mathematician? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's a good one. I can put my hand up. You got to remember to put your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Let's go your last six frames. Oh, We're getting more challenging here. How many? Six. Oh, boy. Your last six frames, yeah. Double, corner spare, five bagger. 
Two sixty-eight. Curtis, I decided to sign up. No, you're wrong. Two fifty-three. No. No matter your scorekeeping is wrong, Kara. Oh. What was it? What was it? Double. Okay. Corner spare. Oh, double. Five bagger. Hey, my hands up. Yeah. Tim. Uh, one. Thirty. No, that's not even in the ballpark. Two twenty-eight. No. Two two forty-eight. No. What? Two two thirty-eight. Two thirty-eight. Tim, you got it. Yeah, I did my math wrong. I didn't. Yeah, no, we know. You said one. (laughs) Okay. Now it's a two-two. So now we're going to do a full game. (laughs) Full game. Jesus Christ. Here you go. Are you ready for this though? Yeah. Head pin. For a full cleanup, left corner, missed for you picked it for a cleanup. Seven bagger, chop off cherry deuce. What's your score? Cherry yeah. and Dexter, you guys need a notepad next time. No, right? I know. I was like, I'm not, I can't do my head either. Yeah, I'm watching your eyes try to go here. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Three twenty eight. Three forty three. No. <laughs> Three fifty? Three fifty? No. Do you need me to do it again? Yeah. No. 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 Jim Head, you got the last one. You were right there with the two thirty eight. 15, 15, seven bagger, 15. Five, with a chopped cherry, chopped cherry juice. 345? No. I should have just pulled up a five pin bowling app here. Yeah. So that's 360? No. 343. No, this your math is wrong. Could be because it seems right. Like, Where's yeah. my phone? We got. Let's go. Let's go through this frame by frame. Yeah. 15, 30, 75, yeah. 120, 165, 210, 255, 300, 328. No, no, not 300. Yeah, three, three, three forty-five, three sixty. Oh. 360. I said 360. 255. 328. 360. 15. It's 328. 328. 338, everybody. You guys, you're wrong. We have to go to another one. Oh, I can't even read my Yeah. 250. Brett's, there you go. 255 plus the 40 count. Just give us 8, 9, 10, okay? That's 295. Okay. I do. Okay. I've got a cheeseburger apparently waiting for me. Thanks. <laughs> okay, eight, nine, ten. That's it. We're gonna go to whose game should we play for eight, nine, ten? We'll play for Dwayne Plato's eight, nine, ten against Ontario game number thirteen at Saint Vital. <laughs> um, 
five 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 for a fifteen count. Spare five spare chop off. What's your three frame score? Sixty. There you go. Oh, sorry, Tim, I didn't see you. There, the Deering's didn't play by the rules because they got Kara. So Kara wins. She always wins at everything. So you're good. All right. That's fair. We give the win to the guest. There we go. Good. Thanks for playing, guys. Good little What's the nice part? Wow. Wow. There you go. I know. I know, Curtis. You like hearing the word Saint Vital, right? Not really. No. So you had mentioned there that your final, you know, shot. Um, anybody else share some stories of the final shot in a tournament or in a game of, that you've had to lose? Um, not about winning, but what was the, I know that a good story is Allison Roberts, I think. Didn't she look to, to, to win a singles title and she had aces as well. So I know there's some heartbreak stories out there. Tim, Dexter, Gary, anything that come to mind? I've, I've thrown a split in a couple of cash tournaments on the 12 shot to lose a couple matches, but nothing, uh, uh, not for title, unfortunately. I mean, I think by then I probably lost it halfway through the third game or something like that. But well, I mean, what was it? Uh, Lynn Anseth throwing this, what the, the aces? The aces, the win by one, right? I mean, or I mean, yeah, that one. And then what about, uh, what about Victor somehow getting that, that head pin somehow against oh, Evan? The, uh, he it was, was uh, right trying to pick the side and he, just barely tipped the three pin over to win. Yeah, he thought he missed completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have those ones, right? I mean, um, what about you personally, Tim? What have you done to screw up a match? Screw up? Well, no, I, <laughs> I called, me, called me out and played uh, match. <laughs> here, here. I'll, I've got two for Tim. Oh, here you go. Or was, nice. was it was it two or was it one? No, it was just it was just it was just you when you went double. And then, uh, and then you ripped a left three pin to tie the match at nationals. I think that was Saint Vital as well, too. Actually, it was Saint fucking Vital, yeah. Yeah, it was double, and then you just needed that pin to tie. The, no, then, the, the pink then, arrows and the pink gutters, yes. But then it was like two games later. Was it on lane seven and eight. Uh, it could have. Uh, it, it, it was. was it was in the middle, yeah. somewhere in the middle. I know yeah. all of mine were on the same pair of lanes. Uh, yeah. It was in the middle. Two, yeah. two two games later, Brett Mapstone goes up. There was a double and ten. Needs five to win, <laughs> three to lose, four to tie. And I'm like, just don't pull a Tim Wise in. <laughs> left, left, left three pin walks out of the building. <laughs> so heartbreaking. Sorry to bring up that topic. That sucks. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was my. I, I'll t I'll take the blame for that. I was just trying to lighten the mood. You called them. Yeah, yeah. Call them. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, hey Curtis, what type of bowling ball did you used to use? Did you? I mean, I have the same set of bowling balls for my. I got them for Christmas when I was thirteen. They're uh, Scorpion Pro Rubber, three pounds ten ounces. I wore the initials off three times, so I'm wow. not sure what they would weigh now. But now is that. Why didn't you play with anything else? I mean, you were just confident with what you had, or you never really experimented with other balls, uh, or what's uh, you just? I don't, I don't think I don't know. It just didn't really seem to. I knew if I threw the ball as good as I could throw it, I could knock the pins over anywhere, and that's just how it was, you know. Yeah, I never like I never had a spot. I I bowled my eyes closed. It was all by feel. Everything was one hundred percent by feel. 
I never had a mark on the lane. I never paid attention to where I stood. You just kind of picked up a bowling ball, took a deep breath, and when it felt right, you let it rip. Yeah. Wow. It's neat. It's, you know, here you go. Thanks, Carrie, for bringing that up. Chris Bradford, that's a, that's a heartbreaker. Came into Anchor Provincials, came in off the bench, spared us uh, five spare. He throws a double and eight and nine, feeling good about himself, and then pitches a deuce, a three pin, and then decide to lose the medal to go to nationals by three. So a two pin and a three on a double. You think that the nerves are running there on that first ball, but that's unfortunate. So thanks for sharing that story. But that must be where all that gray came from, Bradford. Uh, as we uh, as we look to wrap up here soon, Curtis, give us some some lasting thoughts on you know where are you going to come back? Are you going to come play again? I know that there's um, you know the desire probably hopefully still there. The time may not be, but you know, speaking for myself and a lot of others, I know that we'd love to see you come and play. Uh, what does what does bowling still have in store for Curtis Deering? Well, I I know that bowling is my life's foundation. I've learned so much about who I am and what I'm capable of through competing in the sport. Um, I know that it takes an extraordinary uh, commitment and financial investment for me to participate. You know, um, but. I still want to play. I I still have the desire. I, you know, there's some unfinished business to take care of. Um, I know I came second five times at the provincials for singles, and I wouldn't mind, you know, have an opportunity to play on an individual level. Ian Doby beat me three times, I think. Gino once. Uh, Tom Stevenson once. Um, but yeah, I. I want to. I want to. Want to compete again? When, where, or how? I, I don't know. This little thing that Daryl was talking about was kind of intriguing—a travel pro tour, you know. But I haven't. I haven't put a bowling shoe or grabbed a bowling ball in ten years, except in my shop on branding at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> where you had the east and west so bad you could hardly stand up. But yeah. uh, that's it, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I miss the game. I miss the friendship. We still have friends all over the country. Like I told Daryl on the phone a couple of days ago, I a guy could go just about anywhere in Canada and have a place to stay, and and we're still in touch. And but I I miss the the competition, the ability to put life on a shelf and just go bowl. Yeah. From a selfish standpoint, I would love to get to play on a team with you one day. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Well, I I got it. I'd have to knock a little rust off and lose about fifteen pounds, but I think I can. Nope, yeah. no, you don't. Fat you, bowlers you, make good bowlers. We yeah, talk you, about this all the time. You haven't heard the last did decade you, of progression hey, in bowling. Hey, did, did you did you not see that match against me and Daryl? I annihilated him and I'm twice his size. <laughs> um, did Did you not watch uh, America? Oh, was it that Titan show? Like you're like country strong. Like I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're perfectly you're perfectly okay. Yeah, I know, but my 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 ass cheek and my knee won't endure the torture. <laughs> you know, bowler's bum is a real thing. I never thought it was until you you know. There's no way I could go through 30 games and be able to. They'd have to stretch me out of there. I'd look like Lynn Howell after one game. Yeah. <laughs> Good point, Mark. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you need to get fatter. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Balder. <laughs> well, you know, I know um, selfishly, I'd like to have you back and play into. We certainly miss you. You know, a lot of a lot of my younger years too, and playing those opens formed some really great friendships. And you know, I'm lucky enough that uh, we still get to see each other. Um, whether it's branding or on family holidays and, you know, me with kids and you with kids, we sort of let them continue their friendships and, and build there. So, or uh, wild table dancing in Cabo. Yeah, there we go. Dancing in Cabo and many more fun times like that. But I think that um, the bowling community, you know, would, would benefit from seeing Curtis Deering play again. There's a lot of young players now, the Titcats and Tom and Ryland Willers, and these guys didn't get to see Curtis Deering play. Um, it was a privilege to watch you play and compete against uh, the best out there. And eyes closed or not, um, you're you're a hell of a player, bud. And if this pro tour comes to life, then you're you're on the team, and we're playing and we're competing, and we'll bring you back. So we miss yeah. you on the lane, fella. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for the thanks for the visit, and it was what you guys are doing is pretty cool. You know, I I I'm still in touch, just keeping tabs from a distance, but yeah. You guys have done a fantastic job for the sport, and you know it's it's only available in Canada, and I don't know why. It, I've built bowling alleys all over the world, and I talk about the sport to in Daegu, South Korea. They wanted to build one. You know, it, it's just how do we make it happen? Yeah, it's yeah. it's the toughest sport on earth. Like it's just there's nothing simple about it. It's, it's you know doing the doing the things that I think these guys are doing now, right? And trying to get some things go viral and. Um, you never know who's going to start watching videos and start seeing things. That's how the internet and the world seems to work right now is by something just catching and it just, it goes viral. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's fun doing these things and being part of this, you know, before we leave, I want to give obviously a plug. You are, you know, working your ass off these days. I know that there's been a bit of a challenge, uh, with the pandemic in the, uh, in the cattle industry. Of, uh, of selling your cattle directly to the feedlots and then working their way up. And now that uh, your wife and Kara and yourself have started another company, Spring River Cattle, that you're selling um, you know, beef directly to the consumer, um, mm -hmm. opportunity for people to buy you know, 18-month-old beef rather than 10-year-old store-bought. Uh, we've, we've bought some ourselves and it's absolutely delicious meat. So if anybody's interested in buying portions of of cattle and supporting a, a wonderful bowler and a friend over the years. Look up Spring River Cattle on uh, on the on Facebook uh, and, and message Kara and, and talk about some of the best cuts you could have and uh, and they'd love to help you out and, and support a good cause. So um, these guys are, are some of the hardest working people that we know in the in the bowling industry and growing. A, a, ranching isn't easy and and they they work their ass off and tough as nails. But uh, so let's see if we can support them with some some beef business. Well, there you go. Well, if you guys ever need a hand or some help along the way, don't don't hesitate to call. I I know I I got a wealth of knowledge in in the game and the mechanical side, and I got a lot of good ideas. Yeah, you know, I, I may take you up on that, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> can't wait well, to throw balls again, but it might not be for a few more years. Well, we'll, uh, we'll we'll plug you into the pro tour. When that happens, we'll just get you somewhere coming and playing for a weekend. And you need to find the time to steal you away and come come and play, right? Maybe when you're delivering some meat up here, we'll get you in for some games. And uh, yeah, 
and 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 we'll set it up and just have some fun because that's uh, above anything. Having fun with our our friends that have been around for a long time is is more important than than throwing strikes. So, I know I got married in my bowling shoes, and uh, <laughs> Lynn was the MC of our wedding, and we had Masters Nationals in Winnipeg, and I never even dawned on me, but I wore them all day, and we go to warm up, and I just totally in a dick slam like bam on my lid i look on my shoe i got corn mashed potatoes gravy <laughs> and had to bowl the whole tournament like there was no work we had to slide through it on the rug until i worked out the leftovers from our wedding all right. Well, we'll 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 end this podcast, Curtis. If you want to stay on after and chat with us, we're more than willing to stay up a little bit later with you. Um, thanks again for coming on, Daryl. Yeah, thanks really for it. for running the agenda, running the podcast smoothly, and uh, keeping us on track. That's thanks for time. having me. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Peace out.